I can't tell you how excited I am to be here today. I am coming to you about halfway through a lifelong journey in the innovation industry, more specifically, trying to increase the efficacy of that industry. So if you look at the, the innovation industry, it's a little bit in its infancy. It's maybe its early adolescence. There's a lot of sticky notes. There's a lot of sparkle. There's a lot of Legos and finger puppets in the middle of conference room tables. And, and I, I came to it from the business side. And I kept looking for, for some kind of sense of reliability or dependability. If, if companies are, if, are struggling so much with creating the next new thing, couldn't we make that process a bit more reliable? If there, we were to think of it as a factory, the inputs that go in, you've got all this great ideation going on, but yet no company is sitting there with a deep sense of confidence as they make those investments over the course of the year. So as a running an innovation consultancy currently, I, I, uh, I started to look deeply at how do we make this process more reliable. It's, it feels something a little bit more like this, where there's a 70% of companies have named innovation, being innovative as one of their core values. Even more than that have named it as their top priority for 2018. And yet, uh, folks are prioritizing it, they're spending money on it, they're investing in it. And it's not, it's not, you don't enter 2018 planning cycle thinking, I know, I know that this growth and investment's going to work out. And folks have done a lot, of, a lot of discovery as to why. Is it the quality of the ideation? Is it the, um, is it the culture to support that ideation or the manifestation of it? Is it the design thinking process itself? Is that a little dated? Is it, um, is it the execution? Lots, lots of folks are landing there. Uh, we at Future Brand Spec, we think we've cracked the code a bit. We think, of course, it's a process, but we think we're at least on the forefront of, of advancing the, the, that efficacy. We, um, and if I do my job in my talk today, what I'm going to do is, is distill down to its essential element the thing we think we've figured out and teach it to you so that you can use it in your everyday lives. And I'll give you examples in the healthcare industry of how we've applied this tool, but I, I use this tool I use this tool endlessly. I use this tool, I've redesigned every single moment in my life with this tool. I've redesigned my dinner parties, I've redesigned the way I come home from work and greet my kids. My kids at this point say to me, Mom, are you experience engineering me right now? And, uh, and yes, I am. The, um, so it's a tool that we've had the privilege of deploying, just so you don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, making this up. We have had the privilege of deploying this with some of the world's most innovative companies across a, a wide range of industries. So we have, we're sort of behind, we're sort of behind the curtain on a lot of innovations that sit in your pocket and in your hospital and in your automobile, in your body, uh, in your office, in your data center. We've been at this for a long time. And specifically about three years ago, I started a very specific investment process with my, with my team, with everybody from deep thermal engineers, mechanical engineers, through to sort of workshop runners and ethnographers, uh, and of course with, in partnership with sort of global leading neuroscientists and behavioral scientists and the Stanford D Design School and all sorts of folks to try and really look at everybody's methodology, how's everybody doing it. Sidebar, I, my early career was in wanting to save the world. And then I sort of entered the innovation, innovation space. And my goal is to crack the code enough so that I can go back to saving the world with some increased efficacy. Right now, I feel like if I showed up in a refugee settlement and said, let's spend our $50,000 this way, it just doesn't feel reliable enough. So that's my private agenda for why I'm trying to do this. But 
so, so I've been working on this for a long time, and I'll just start with a little bit of contextualization. So where the conversation has been is about 15 years ago, there was a pretty big breakthrough, 15, maybe 20, and companies have incre been increasing their sophistication around customer centricity. The more deeply you understand your customer, the more likely your innovation or your investment in growth is going, the more accurate it will be, the, the, better, the better for the market. The sophistication of that conversation has been improving. And at this point, I think most, most folks are relatively, you know, they're relatively oriented towards customer-centric innovations. And there's still a bit of a divide between the thinkers and the makers. You've got somebody who comes up with a great idea and then the makers don't quite apply that, et cetera. And so there's, we're stuck a little bit there. Uh, though I would say that most, I'd say the emerging 10% are, or top 10% are aware of the following three things. They're not just innovating a new product, they're innovating a new experience. There's touch points all around the product that drive an experience. The second is those touch points need to be woven together and they need to be woven together around an emotion, that it's emotion that drives 100% of all decision making. So most folks at this point are on the, on the cutting edge are, are, are working with those tools in their toolbox. What the most sophisticated companies are talking about now is, of course, connected product experiences or connected brand experiences. And we're not talking about I the IoT definition of connected, though that certainly could be included. We're talking about emotional connection. It's truly interwoven, emotionally consistent sets of experiences from, and of course, everybody's favorite example, Apple from the store to the to the packaging, to the product, to the welcome script at the Genius Bar, all of those things weaving together to create a, a unified brand experience is, uh, is essential in this sort of connected product experience. That's a lot around how to manifest a solution if you're trying to do it right. What I've gotten very, very interested in is it doesn't matter how well you solve the problem if you got the problem wrong in the first place. So at the center of a lot of this is, is what I'll call lack of a better word, brand, or essentially the, the emotion that sits inside. From an execution perspective, we do believe that, I believe strongly, that every single one of these seven elements needs to be integrated in while you are designing some kind of solution. So from a solution creation standpoint, you have to be thinking about the human need while you're thinking about the technology, while you're thinking about the environment, all of these things simultaneously. This doesn't mean you have 50 people from a logo designer to a color designer to a mechanical engineer in every single meeting, but it does mean that if I'm designing, if I'm thinking about Tesla as an example, and I'm designing the thermals to hold the compute power for the self-driving features, and I'm also selecting the fabrics for the seat, and I'm also selecting the branded color scheme, and I'm also rolling out the service experience or laying out the showroom, in every single case, those, those execution initiatives need to be centered around a single unifying brand experience, AKA an emotion. And it's, it is in that execution where many folks go wrong in not weaving them together, but I'm gonna, I'll leave it at weave them together and I'm gonna focus a little more on the, on the problem identification in the first place because I think that's where even more innovations go wrong. So, if you get the problem wrong, you can optimize experience consistency all you like, and it doesn't matter. You, if, I'm, if I'm challenged to do a culture design project and the client says, make my culture more innovative, the, the emotion that a 
engineer in Stuttgart needs to feel in order to feel more innovative might be safe. The emotion that an a marketing manager in California needs to feel might be inspired. This is a, it's a multifactorial, multifactorial problem that really, but it sits at the center of everything. And of course, it has a yield. So a positive emotional experience, people are more likely to recommend, trust, try, purchase, forgive. We know all of this. But this is very important. So how do you get it right? How do you get that emotion that sits at the center of it all right? It's the, the, the tool that I call experience engineering is the tool for deducing that. And I'll, uh, it's easiest to explain through a story. So we're challenged by Starbucks. We'd like to increase the price of a cup of coffee by 25 cents. And in order to do that, we'd like to make the, the coffee cup seem a little bit more valuable. So we look at the, we do what most, most design firms would do, which is we look at everything in terms of journeys. You look at the moment that the coffee cup, you can design everything from the journey of the brand. The moment I'm exposed to the brand, I engage with the brand, I assess the brand, I behave and circle back again. And you can build a little map of all of those touch points inside. I can map out the retail experience. I can map out down to the details of the coffee cup. The actual feel of the coffee cup in my hand can sit on one of these maps, right? So you build a little bit of a tree of maps. You think in terms of journeys and you find the touch points. And you look at the touch points that are below the line. Great, good, average, bad. And below the line and you redesign the, item, the, the touch points, the moments or the influencing moments below the line. So this is sort of basic design methodology. And, uh, and of course, we all know that designing those moments, redesigning those moments below the line is critical. You have to, if I have, for every, the science is that if I'm late one time, I have to be on time 10 times for you to think of me as an on-time person, which is why I never bother being on time at all. But the, uh, it, is, it is critically important to redesign those below the line moments. But where the magic is, we found, after all of this research, is that what she needs to feel is not happy. She doesn't, it doesn't really matter how she feels on a happiness scale from great, good, average, bad. It's that y-axis that really drives the efficacy of a process. What really matters is how she feels, how a particular moment makes her feel about herself. It's relatively intuitive once I say it, and yet it's a massive shift in the way you're designing an innovation and the way you're thinking about that centralizing emotion. So if you rethink about it with what emotion does she need to feel about herself in order to pay 25 cents more for a cup of coffee, she needs to feel worthy. She needs to feel worth it based on the discovery we did. So when you redesign the map around worthiness, then you see the actual moment where I dip below in a, from a worthiness standpoint is when I go to the restroom which I have an 11% chance of doing because it's a coffee shop. And where do I put my coffee cup? Do I put it on the back of the toilet? Do I put it on the wet sink? My worthiness has dipped. The other place is the disposal moment, depending on where you are and how environmentally conscious the audience is. Uh, you've got these worthiness dips. This is a totally different moment to redesign, and you would have wasted your time had you spent a lot of money redesigning the coffee cup. This is what needs to shift, and this is what will increase the, the viability of that 25 cent increase. So to sum up, because everybody needs a chart, there's a, uh, just think about it as build a map and figure out what the driving emotion is and design for that emotion. 
So I was asked to talk a little bit about how this applies in the healthcare industry. There's a couple interesting shifts in terms of the trending there that add to this because there's multiple users that need to feel multiple things. There's a couple different trends that are particularly interesting. And in the healthcare industry, I should, I should say that we've had the privilege of, of getting to work on everything with companies who are trying to figure out what's next in a particular healthcare space, all the way through to overseeing trials of an implantable and managing a process through first customership. So on that continuum, we, we've, uh, we've got a couple stories to tell and I can sort of make real this experience engineering methodology. My first is a project we're doing with Google and a global healthcare company. And it's a type 2 di diabetes solution. It's a challenger brand. So it comes out, we've had, and of course, we've been very, very lucky, and this doesn't always occur, but been able to work on it from the what's the human emotion, but also through the strategy planning and the pricing and the, the device development and the app development and the brand development, et cetera. So when you get to bring all those things all together, you get to work at that execution level I mentioned. And in this case, the, um, it, it, because it's type 2 diabetes, it's a behavior design challenge. At the end of the day, people are living with type 2 diabetes. They, are, um, they have, in many cases, the ability to save their own lives with behavior change. And that's a really a difficult and complicated code to crack. The assumption when the client came to us was that what folks need to feel, what these patients need to feel, is a deep sense of being informed. If they felt informed, they would they would increase their likelihood of behaving in the way that will save their own lives. If they only knew to eat a certain way, they would eat a certain way. It turns out that's not the case at all. And I feel informed showed one map and we would have spent all our energy in the wrong place. As we did the work onto sort of what that essential driving emotion is, we found that the real emotion that they needed to feel is I am free. It's an incredibly constraining life experience to have to be constantly told what you can and can't eat and what you can and can't do. And this sense of I am free has been quite elusive for them during the experience of the disease. So how that manifests is actually not that innovative. The big innovation was figuring that out. And then once we got that, it manifested in bigger buttons. It manifested in non, you know, not multisyllabic words, layman's terms, happy colors in the app. That the, it was thousands of little choices, all of which drove towards the emotion, I am free, that drove the incredible market success of this product. And the, the unprecedented shift in behavior design and sort of what felt like a really difficult to crack aspect of, of healthcare prior. So, so I'm always sort of interested in this idea of sort of the big aha, I live in Silicon Valley and we have that whole experience of the big idea and it comes through. And it's really in so many cases, just thousands of little simple ideas all pointing to the right thing that really drive a big innovation. There's a couple trends in the healthcare industry that are slightly interesting right now. One is of course that consumers are making a great deal of taking the power of that, or their healthcare choices on in quite, quite a profound way to the tune of $40 billion in 2025. It's a, it's a pretty big space that a lot of innovators are looking to capitalize on. And the other there is, of course, that it used to be physicians making most of the healthcare decisions, what devices to have in a hospital, et cetera, and more and more that is the C-suite. So with those two trends, it's, it gets to be a little bit interesting as you look at some of the essential need drivers of the emotions around these things. So this was a, uh, a pretty disruptive product around, a, it's a wearable fertility monitor. And 
Interestingly, the, the, the competition, this is targeted at that, that consumer home is the new hospital phenomenon. And, uh, and the emotion there is I need, my, my opposition is really, to, or my, my competitive landscape is taking temperature with my thermometer. And so I need a deep, a deep sense of why would this be so much better, so much more convenient. So convenience was the initial sort of differentiator. But really, at the end of the day, once we nailed on this emotion of I am supported, which if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that comes right out of that, that pretty baseline one around the sense of belonging. The I am supported means I really want to feel, my, my ideal state is that I have a dear friend or a partner who deeply cares about whether or not my life dreams are going to come true and how does this device manifest as that dear friend. The fact that the charging station is the same as the protective carrier that allows me to throw it in my purse, the fact that it is sort of happy, accessible colors, the fact that I can wear it overnight, various aspects in the design that really give me that sense of I am supported by this friend. Interestingly, I think, are the differentiation for why it was successful versus pretty successful. On the other end of the continuum, we worked on a, uh, a, radio, a robotic radio surgery system. And in this case, of course, there's two users. There's the, the consumer who's walking in, going through a life-changing experience, and it meets this massive robot. And the more accessible, the more kind, the more welcoming, the more the aesthetics are designed around the, the patient's experience, the more delightful that experience can be on the continuum of delightful. Uh, and on the other end, that actually feeds. Patient delight or patient, patient positive experience feeds the C-suite emotion, which is um, I'm safe with my investment. I am, you know, fundamentally, I am taking a big risk. I've got to dedicate the real estate. I've got a big, big capital expenditure, and it's going to yield. And of course, they're causal, right? The more it yields for the consumer, the more it yields for the C-suite. And so, so from a design perspective, what this means is, you know, on the C-suite end, really on the efficacy end, big breakthrough around the arm design and the ability to operate on eight axes instead of seven so that we could get around the patient and prove the efficacy of breast cancer detection. But on the experience side, and, and easy to clean, easy to install, lower square footage so that it can sit in a smaller room, all of those things thought about at once, which is very which is sort of where the art is. And then, of course, making the entire experience emotionally satisfying for the patient. Last example uh, is just, just to make the point that, you, that there are multiple kinds of users. This is an ICU, an ICU solution, <coughs> GFR monitor. And, we, and this is where nurses, if, if you've ever gotten the chance to do any kind of ethnography in an ICU, you get to the thousands of beeps lots of motion, lots of cables. So this is a lot about, I want to be my best. I'm a nurse, I'm doing the best I can, and I want, I want the opportunity, my emotion is that I want to be able to do my best. And my competition, the competition is the way I've always done it. And that kind of works. I can monitor kidney function, function with periodic monitoring. In order to do, to get a, to, to move towards this, this behavior shift, I really have to feel, feel confident that this is going to shift the outcome for my patient, but I really have to feel confident that I can be the best nurse I can be. And the same goes for, of course, the C-suite the needed to feel I can win because this is a big shift. So it's a, those are a handful of examples of how emotion sits at the center of some very um, technically complicated innovations. 
the, uh, it's a process. It's not, we're not done. Um, you can do this on anything. You really can sit there and think, what is the driving emotion that my friend needs to feel right now when they're calling me to tell me about their kids, whatnot. You can, um, hopefully, you can use it to drive the efficacy of anything you're trying to do and change the world. Thank you.